It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, April 23rd, 2021. This is episode 665 of the podcast. I'm very excited that uh, I was able to... Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to to uh, present to you this wonderful episode with a Film Wax Radio friend. And may I just add, my friend, Kevin Corrigan. Uh, the, Kevin is a great actor. He's been on the show, I think, three times. And it's always been supporting a filmmaker because he's just that kind of guy. He, he He's just a, a gentle and funny and earnest guy who likes to support artful filmmakers. And so I've, I've just been happy to get to know him over the course of a number of years with various projects. And, you know, I first came across his work because he started so young with the with Goodfellas, True Romance, of course, uh, Living in Oblivion. I'm just going through some of the films he's done, so many, Walking and Talking, Trees Lounge, Henry Fool, Buffalo 66, Freaks and Geeks, the series Grounded for Life. He was in The Departed, Superbad. American Gangster, Pineapple Express, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, The Series Damages. The Andrew Brzezowski film Results, he came on with that. That was his first time visiting so many other projects. He had a recurring role in, in Dice, Godfather of Harlem, Ray Donovan. He continues to work endlessly. And I imagine that people just love working with the guy. So... We've been swapping songs and, and things on, on Instagram. And finally, I said, let's just have a conversation on the podcast. He said, I'm, I'm for it. Name the time. And we, we worked it out, and he came on, and we talked for hours. So this is it. This is the conversation. It's long, but it's fun. I, I was uh, Again, this is one of my favorite shows I've ever done because it's just two guys talking about all their favorite things and we're roughly the same age so we share a lot of references so i hope uh, we don't alienate you all together but uh it's a special episode i'm thrilled no outro on this episode guys take care of yourselves and the ones you love here it is kevin corrigan only on film wax radio
Hello. Hello. Wait a minute. Oh, hold on. I had something set for this occasion. Wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thought because we were doing this during the late night uh, during the uh, timing here. That's right. If ever there was like a, a ten minute delay on on uh, on uh, the Tonight Show. But that would be because the because it was really taped earlier in the day, right? Didn't they? And also, at some point, they started at like eleven thirty-five, which I couldn't quite understand. But why they did that? But that was a thing. Do you remember that? I, I you know, as a as a as a as a as a regularly scheduled time, they moved it to eleven thirty-five. Yeah. At a certain point, it went from like 11 to 11.35. I don't know. Uh, what? And then there was another thing I found while I was waiting, just because, and I thought you'd be really like to hear, hear this. This is uh, in a Facebook group called Cinema Shorthand Society. Same, yeah. And it, it starts with this. Bud, Bud Court describing the first time he met Groucho Marx. Quote, I had just gotten off the plane from New York City. And I had hair down on my shoulders and a beard. I took a cab up to his house in Bel Air. And the minute my first, I, uh, my fist connected with the door, the door opened and there stood Groucho. He looked at me, his mouth flew open. He gasped and he slammed the door in my face. Another guest who knew Bud opened the door and brought Bud in to introduce him to Groucho. Groucho said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I thought you were Charles Manson. <laughs> <laughs> goes on from there. I guess today's it's a great series of anecdotes. It kind of goes on to Harold and Maud, but it, it's it's really keen like who they want who uh, Bud Court wanted for uh, he wanted Greta Garbo to play Maud originally. Can you imagine anybody else playing P- playing? Uh, yeah, yeah. That that. Uh... And there's that photo right there. There's Bud <laughs> and Groucho. It's Bud's birthday. Happy birthday, Bud Court. Do you ever meet Bud? Yeah, I did. I met him once. Wow. Uh, um, Yeah, yeah. It was at this restaurant in L.A. Maybe you know it. It's, uh, you know, a lot of, like, actors and show people uh, would go to this place. It was in the, it was hidden behind the Roosevelt Hotel in the parking lot. You know the restaurant I'm talking about? You go in, it's like, you get there and it's like uh, the front of that front entrance is it's kind of like camel, not camouflage, but just, yeah, you feel just, like you're walking into a, right. a bamboo lounge type of place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like a tiki lounge or something, but it's, so it's like, kind of like just, yeah, it's misguiding or whatever. Like you're not sure you're going into a restaurant, but then you walk into the real popular like uh, spot. Yeah, then suddenly I, you're you're there in in the in the hallowed sort of insider kind of like, uh, and you start to see people. Yeah, you know, in the corner. Like, <laughs> that oh sort of that sort of happened to me. I was invited to a publishing thing for uh, recent, not that long ago. It was before the course of the pandemic, but it was. I I I didn't really think about it, but it was for this book from Mike Nichols. It wasn't the new one. It was one that was sort of done like two years ago 
and I was invited to the um, just sort of the party. And I didn't I didn't even have time to really think. I was a busy day, and I had actually a roll away piece of luggage. And I you know I figured oh, I'll just check it in when I get to this you know the monkey bar in Midtown. Yeah, yeah, right. You know that place, right? So I get there and I walk in, and I swear I almost rolled this thing over Barry Diller's foot, and he was very nice about it. You know, I just kind of went like, you know, blinked my eyes and sorry, Mister Diller. (laughs) But I realized, oh, I'm. It's going to be like that. It's going to be that kind of party. I realized I hadn't put it together. It makes sense, you know, uh, because of the the authors and everything that. I realized, oh, it's very, they're very connect. It's a very connected thing. And everybody who loves Mike Nichols and who's still, you know, around will probably was, you know, a lot of those people were there. So it was one yeah. of those, it was kind of fun in that way. Um, but anyway. I was just talking to somebody um, who, who's, uh, for whom it was a, a family tradition to, to go to the monkey bar every christmas oh right up until the the pandemic uh the, the, you know the, the broke the uh it broke the, uh, the, uh, broke, the tradition well it broke a lot of traditions for a lot of people right a lot of different traditions i i, I imagine so i imagine it's, it's incalculable how right many you know routines have been uh disrupted disrupted Let's, Absolutely, you know. Uh, um, but I it got me thinking because, to be honest, I've never been to the Monkey Bar. Like w- when this uh, friend of mine told me about it, it's like, where is that? And he told me, and I'm like, because he was from Manhattan, like he's from you know, um, Stytown, you know. Sure. And uh, and and his, his his young guy, his old man, you know, it was his idea to to bring the family to this. Uh, so yeah, the monkey because I thought of the monkey bar in LA. I remember hanging out there with Tom Sizemore <laughs> in like 1992, and and like uh, Emily Lloyd came up to him while I while we were chatting. You know, suddenly there was uh, someone who was trying to, you know, who was demanding his attention. And it was the actress from Wish She Were Here who was just wow like um um wasn't she wonderful you know uh i i don't i haven't seen her i don't know what what she's doing yeah she was just the you know so delightful and and interesting and and like the like the the actress of the moment for for a period right was she what year did that come out because i maybe it's right before that is that uh because uh I think it was in the eighties that it came out. Maybe very, you know? yeah. And I think actually by ninety two, you know, her wave was kind of Yeah. And um I was uh um I, I wasn't there with Tom. I was there with Michael Rappaport and uh, we ran the and, other, yeah. and we ran into Tom. Uh-huh. And Tom was looking for a job, you know. And me and Michael were working on a true romance. We were already oh, hired. Right. Maybe had already been shooting. And you know, he must have known about it. But in my mind, he, he, you know, it, it came up while he was like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, what are you guys doing?" You know, and it was. 
what? What's that called? Tony Stark? <laughs> I'm not in that. Yeah. Next thing you right. know, he's yeah. in. We, yeah. You know, we were on the set and he's like, hey, guys. <laughs> What's up, man? Look, look. <laughs> it's like, you made it. You want a fucking movie. Yeah. Let's hang out. Well, it makes sense that cast, you know, he's there. It was during that period where, you know, you guys were. Like in a, like a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of those movies right around that time when the, the scene was really bursting, you know. Yeah, it reminds me, it's like Paul McCartney talking about, you know, 1967 and, you know, Magical Mystery 2. I don't, I don't know if I want to take the full blame for it, but uh, it was great. You know, it was a great ideas time. <laughs> it was a great ideas time. It was a great time for independent films and for, you know, well, for independent films. So Quentin Tarantino comes from independent film. Reservoir Dogs is like hit this right. you know, uh, lightning, it, you know, uh, struck and, and suddenly everybody wants to, you know, be in his films or direct his scripts. And, and there's Tony Scott directing true romance and and uh, you know so it's a bit of the uh the mainstream meeting the underground mm-hmm. yeah very much well dennis hopper and was like, time, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know you get guys like that who uh were interested in what the young guys were doing you know like but there were it's interesting because those some of those guys like christopher walken dennis hopper whatever i mean maybe dennis hopper's a little older than even christopher walken probably isn't it also Christopher Walken's birthday? Or was that yesterday? It's oh, it's it was to, it, it's it's today's the first now, right? Maybe. Uh, give us ten minutes. <laughs> oh, good. We haven't crossed the threshold yet. Not yet. Anyway, but I, what I found interesting was like with Hopper because he was part of the like the earlier version of that where he was part of the those young, you know, angry young men or whatever those young guys who, you know saw the waning days of the studio system and he was part of this young generation of guys who was kind of connected to that because they came out of that period and they were in their earliest you know they were doing like tv from the 50s and then they started doing those the waning hollywood studio movies but very quickly then dennis hopper did easy rider you know that was that and then all of a sudden those guys ended up being part of this whole new generation so in a way I could see why somebody like that might be interested in what the next generation's doing, you know? Yeah. He, he had the experience, you know, to see on the other end of it, to yeah. see the, the, the wave breaking and, 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 uh, you know, some, you know, it's interesting to see how, how, uh, certain actors and musicians and show people keep the ball rolling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, keep keep it in play you know they're always sort of like uh henry fonda had a career like that uh uh he 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 actually his he went from one decade to the next for quite a few decades you know you know including on golden pond he made it into the 80s yeah no he was yeah it's he had a pretty miraculous and he i guess he wasn't from what i've read he wasn't crazy about making movies uh, I just saw for the first time, and I don't know why. I'm, I don't know why I, I never got around. But there, you and I, of course, been talking about like the Criterion stuff, and the on the Criterion channel, they just had this like Preston. They had this Preston Sturges f- festival going on, or whatever you want to call it. Man, did I watch every? I just watched it all. 
Oh, one wow. a day. Yeah, because I, I that's a lot of few holes in my, you know, I, it gaps in my um my experience there with his movies. And uh, I had watched, I had never seen all uh, the Lady Eve before with him and Barbara Stanwyck. That wow. was, you know, on to be honest, I, I haven't filled those gaps in my own movie knowledge. And you know, Bob Byington tried to fill help me with that a long time ago. I still have the book he gave me which was uh, five screenplays by Preston Sturges. And I was, I was like, this looks remarkable. I got to read this. I nope. see utterly no connection between Bob Byington's films and Preston Sturges. Unless, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't make the connection just right. because I don't. But uh, he had that book and he, he had many, you know, he's, you know, he, 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 I don't know if his films reflect his knowledge of, of Preston Sturges, but I assume no, that, but... that Bob has knowledge right. of him. And, and then also we know that one's influences don't necessarily come out in a, you know, in a very obvious way. Like sometimes it's, 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 it might be something that has nothing to do with, the surface story it could be something very different it could just be the way you place your camera i guess or the way you structure a film or where you, you know your time your pacing who knows yeah you know should we reflect you know uh our um uh, appetites you know uh all, all of them um there was a the, the marky smith from the fall i don't know if you if you into that 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 uh artist's he, uh, um, uh, post-punk, you know, sort of rockabilly-influenced avant-garde garage punk or whatever, uh, you know, he, I think he was one of the, you know, original attendees of the Sex Pistols' first concert at the church or whatever, you know, where, you know, the, the future founders of, of, of Joy Division and... Uh, sure all those groups they were all there for the sex pistols first show and and, and like marky smith and i, I think shane okay. mcgowan was there or but marky yeah. smith so he you know uh was in some interview you know talks about you know his favorite uh period of elvis you know and the interview's like elvis i wouldn't think you were into elvis uh and he's like, you know, why not? Um, that's what, it, you know, and, and, and he goes on to say, that's, it's, uh, you know, it's a symptom of, uh, you know, uh, the lack of imagination in modern, uh, modern times. And, you know, people don't know what they're doing anymore. You know, who says, you know, you have to look like what you like. Right. That's you a know, good point. We're supposed to walk around with, you know, looking like Elvis or something, you know. Or, right. To prove that, or, you know, whatever. I, I, uh, um, I was going to say about this criteria. Speaking of Criterion, one of the top ten lists I saw, I saw was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because my my a cousin of mine from the Bronx was caught me over last Thanksgiving, the last time we were able to have like a, right. a, a holiday. Yeah. She was getting really annoyed with me because I, I hadn't yet shook the, uh, the sort of Boston accent that I was trying to learn for Ray Donovan. 
you know, and I kept, I kept saying, and I don't even know if this is like the right way to say daughter in a Boston accent, but I just kept saying my daughter, my, my daughter, my yeah. daughter, and she's like, "You're what? What are you? Why are you talking like that?" Um, but anyway, the Criterion top ten list of Allison Andrews. I was delighted to see that on her list was young Mr. Lincoln, speaking of Henry Fonda. Speaking of Henry Fonda and John Ford. Because I discovered that movie. um, I was trying to, I was trying to fill in my, the gap in my knowledge of John Ford. Yes. You know, and I wanted, I was making an effort, an effort to, and and in fact, I, um, I, I, I spent an afternoon uh, with uh, the recently passed on, uh, legend uh clark middleton the actor clark middleton uh and uh we watched uh drums along the mohawk and um and you know i watched the searchers and a couple of other films you know uh and 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 but but my darling clementine uh she wore a yellow ribbon she wore a yellow ribbon of course the man oh. who shot liberty balance i guess you could even say yeah uh um and how green was uh, my ha- oh yeah that's that's, the that's a heart yeah that's gut-wrenching I, I wish i had seen that movie when i met roddy mcdowell it would have been nice to have been able to say i loved you and how green was my valley because all i could say was I could hardly speak, to be honest. I, I understand so... that. I, I, yeah. Would you bring a Planet of the Apes? Yes, I did. And well, you know, it's and a I, generational I got really thing. Emotional. And yeah. he, he was. It was Carol Kane who introduced us, and he looked at Carol like, "Oh my!" And then he looked back at me and goes, "You poor sick boy." <laughs> he gave me a hug. Yeah. Um, but uh, young Mister Lincoln. Um, what Alison Anders had to say about the movie, you know, um, crystallized, you know, a thought that I've had about it. Um, she she described the you know it as capturing or like the the American ache. You know, there's just this ache. Um, in in. Uh, you know, of course, now, you know, the nation is certainly aching and, and in, in, you know, in, in a, a crisis. And, um, but I like the way she put that, you know, like, because it, it speaks to the, I guess, the, the sentimentality of the film and uh, how it's really, it's, it's not really based on a true story, as it turns out. But so what? You know, it's it's like it, it it's about the making of a legend. You know, yeah. Um, and and it's what, an origin it, story. It's who? An origin story. It's, oh yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, I I saw. Um, uh, uh, well, I, I I'm I'm planning on watching that one day as a double feature with Spielberg's Lincoln because I think that. I, I after I saw the Lincoln Daniel Day Lewis uh, after I saw Young Mister Lincoln, which I saw after the the, the Spielberg film, and, and thought this is what Godfather 
two is to Godfather original. This is what, this is what De Niro's performance, uh, this is what De Niro's young... R- Vito Corleone. Corleone in, yeah, right, right. Yeah. In a way, Godfather is maybe the sequel to Godfather 2 then, right? Because... It is, yeah. Because Godfather 2 is with the flashbacks, right? I mean... Right. I, 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 you know, I, it would be so great to see if it was if it was meant to be or um, if it could be created virtually. Someone should just make it a video game. Uh, you know, uh, um, a new Godfather movie <laughs> where, where you get De Niro to play Vito Corleone, to play the old Vito. And just erase any you know any uh any any moments of of brando because he's such a hack (laughs) we can reset everything it's a perfect opportunity to imagine now they would have they probably yeah they probably would have they knew it well he didn't probably know he was going to make two because he could barely get through one right he was almost fired coppola and but um i was just going to say a good, another good companion to Young Mr. Lincoln is Grapes of Wrath because, first of all, it's another Ford classic, but it's also really a radical film. I mean, it was very uh, critical, I mean, you know, of America. It was also about American ache. Yeah. And it was very much about, you know, it was almost like kind of socialist film. And it was a very much questioning the power structure of America, right? The police the law enforcement, government, and how sure, they yeah. strong arm they were strong arming these poor people and it's right. an incredible you know, movie. It's like the you know the the dust bowl. Yeah, uh, right. You know, it, it's 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 kind of you know it's it's like the you know the the the, the potato famine of Ireland and 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 of like the uh the arson in the South Bronx in the 60s, you know, like where they a whole people was gaslighted, you know, and an attempt was made to uh, er- eradicate, you know, a, a people, you know, um, and and uh, well, what years were you thinking? Was that? Uh, well, I'm thinking of of um, you know the uh, uh, um, the events of of the grapes of wrath. Right, no, but I was thinking of what was the the period of, in the Bronx where it's sort of, because you're right. I, I was is. thinking of Robert Moses, like where he was wanted to he ripped up neighborhoods in the Bronx with his. That's pilots. right. Yeah, the Cross Bronx Expressway just cut. Uh, right. Um, um, Ripped right through the, uh, the, the the those neighborhoods. Yeah, you, you talk about a disruption and and. Uh, um, that would be, you know, so it, it was, a, there's a, 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 pic, a movie I just watched on the uh, Metrograph mm-hmm. or uh, Metrograph had programmed this film or had uh, talked about or uh, uh, published something about this film recently. It, it played it on the Metrograph website. You know, they've kept things going. Right. Virtually. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and so it's this picture called Decade of Fire, a documentary about uh, the South Bronx and, and uh, this, this woman who grew up there, childhood was spent there and then uh, and she never left. She still lives there. And uh, she went and, and uh, 
and uh, um, investigated the the records of the the fire department. You know. Wow. And and, and um, who else? I'm thinking of the Trail of Tears. You know, there've been many tears. Funny uh, Brando. Speaking of Brando, how Brando would talk about the broken treaties. How many, how many times has this country broken its promise to the American Indian? Uh, and um, and uh, it just seems like, yeah, like our. It's impossible. Have you read "Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee"? That's like almost. That's such a difficult book to get through because it's so painful. Uh, it's it should be it should be mandatory reading. Should be that, like Howard's in "Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee." These are books that kids should be reading in schools. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. I, 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 I read it. Uh, I did read that back in '92, and it. I. I um, and um, life altering reading those books. It, yeah, it, it didn't it, really informed who I, I was as much as anything else. Yeah, I, I read that during the during the uh, the Clinton uh, um, Clinton Bush race. You know, the book just turned me off to the election altogether. To be honest, yeah, uh, I was uh, I, there. I was with uh, with Rappaport doing true romance. It was around that time. It was. Um, well, that was an amazing time also just as uh well uh i know we're popping around but we are. just as i always bring up that period because like i was brought up in a house where my parents loved the european filmmakers you know i grew up i, I mean i didn't watch all of them but my my father loved bergman my mother loved fellini you know they they yeah. kind of just had that and they would play these on P- pbs when we were kids you know they would play like japanese samurai movies you know, I mean, it was an amazing time. And, um, but as a young guy discovering my own generation of film, and I, I've talked about this before, but that's, that was exactly at that like mid to late eighties till mid nineties when that kind of, until it crashed, that period was really meaningful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, yeah. Tarantino came out of that, but Spike and, Jarmish and uh, you know some uh, Allison Anders, of course Susan Seidelman, all those people. Just an amazing period of time. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. All right. For, who we're talking about uh, Emily Lloyd. I remember I saw Emily Lloyd shoot in a movie in Little Italy once. It's her and Peter Falk, I believe, inside a car. Uh, on Mulberry Street, you know, like right down the street from half a block down from the from from Gotti's Club, uh, the 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 Ravenite Social Club, you know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, wasn't that uh, Susan Seidelman? That movie was called Cookie. Oh, was wait, but so. I'm trying to remember the smithereens, right? Then suddenly, then uh, suddenly seeking Susan. What was it called? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm having difficulties, but uh, I mean, we're doing pretty well actually. The memories kick is not doing too bad tonight, but uh, 
Yeah, yeah, we're, we're desperately, bound. desperately seeking Susan. And yeah. then, um, that when was Cookie though? Because I think you're right. I think that was Susan Seidelman. 88, 89. So it was she, before she did was that before Smithereens? No. Smithereens had to be before that. Oh. But um I don't remember I'm trying to remember which who she what she looks like. I can't remember Emily Lloyd. I can't remember what she looks like. I don't know why. Blanking. She looked. Yes. She looked like Patty Boyd. You know, she looked like the, you know, the actress who who married George Harrison. Right. And then, and oh then, yeah. And then, uh, Eric Clapton. Sure. <laughs> so, like, who's had two songs written about her? You know, something in the way she moves. Oh, I didn't realize that. And Layla. Layla, of course. For, for Patty Boyd, you know, like someone like that is, you know, we're talking like Rosanna Arquette. You know, she's had a few songs written about her by. Oh, like, Rosanna, right, yeah. Uh, Peter Gabriel. Um, I forgot about that relationship. He wrote, he wrote some, I think he wrote In Your Eyes about her. I think, I think. Not too I mean, bad, not too shabby. Not too shabby. It's a nice. I I played that song recently myself. Finally, I just. In your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I mean, you know, it's like one of those classics, but it's just fantastic. How do you know how to play all those songs? Because <laughs> I just, I have been playing. This was a really weird thing that come out of this time. Is I've been playing since I was like twelve years old. And I took it very seriously for a long time. I took jazz guitar for years. And uh, I played, I went to a summer camp. I played, I, I wrote music. I wrote a bunch of songs in the 90s. I was trying to, you know, play and, and I recorded music. And I was doing all that. And then I kind of met somebody. I got married. I had a child. You know, it stopped. It just stopped. I mean, that's not a, an unusual story right i mean that's usually when that that kind of happened i mean either you're going to make it or not i just was not really committed to it uh, i was almost there but not quite there you know yeah. I mean? like i just wasn't i didn't and anyway point being i went back here and there and then it wasn't until i was stuck at home and then i just start i just picked up the guitar and i started going back and the and it just kind of kicked in and and what and and then it was like this voracious insatiable voracious appetite for just playing and and getting to be back where I was once like to be really really good again and to just master it again and be better than I was is sort of happened but just to answer your question really I I just sort of have an ear and I'm I'm now I work on it but I don't like I, I I'm barely remembering the lyrics I usually cheat on that i will admit <laughs> so but but i just because i listen and i and sometimes i'll look at a youtube video kevin i i mean you know if i'm struggling or i'll i i look at the chord arrangements i can i have the muscle because i've been just playing i'm you know in my 50s i've been playing for like 40 years i my guitar i bought you know 
from Sam Ash on Queens Boulevard in when I was in high school. I just put money down every you know time I, I made some money till I could buy it, and then I still have it. I just had I it, I just literally the it tipped over the other day because I fell asleep on the couch unplanned, and I woke up in the middle of the night and I knocked over the guitar because I forgot it was you know I was half asleep. It landed on it on on the end it was fine except that it knocked out a tuning peg and uh it broke a tuning peg and i brought it to this guy that worked on the guitar when i moved up here uh last summer and he did so it needed my that, that guitar that's a guild it needed work and um it had been sitting in the case for a couple of years without me playing it more than a couple and uh that was the one i've had since i was like in high school you know so i finally said i gotta yeah. get it back into condition so i found this luthier in outside woodstock in bearsville oh. you know and i i called the guy he took it he he but and then he, he said he he wanted to do like 800 dollars worth of work on it i said I, I i don't really i can't really do that right now yeah. so he ended up doing like 400 dollars worth and then he wanted to change the tuning pegs at the time he says these aren't any good they're cheap you know and i said well it's working, you know, blah, blah, blah. So then it's just yesterday morning, I had this mishap. So I brought it over there. I said, oh, just do it. And so now they've got these beautiful high-end tuning pegs on it. And it really does, when you tune it now, it has such precision. I didn't realize like how much I was kind of having difficulty with it, yeah. you know, because it would click out of tune. I don't know if you've ever had a cheap guitar or something where it's hard to tune it, you know, it, it just doesn't stay in tune. Yeah, right. It doesn't want to stay in the exact right tune, so you have to. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's the story. So I, it's been a miraculous time. I now I have the desire just to play like on a professional level, but you know, so I'm just working on it every day. I just play some and I I work on it. So I just take songs I like. Look, I, I think when when things open up again, if you wanted to, you could you could easily have like, like a gig somewhere. Well, I don't, and I'm just doing it for me. On, on an acoustic guitar, man, it's like you could do a different set every night. I mean, you, you've, you've logged about a hundred <laughs> videos in the past. I, I don't know what I was doing. You know, the reason that, that was like a way to get, it was just something, it, it was helping fuel it, you know, by not just playing by myself alone because spending so much, especially in those first, let's say six months where we barely went out. And, um, but I found like posting it was my way of performing in a way, you know, like it was the closest to doing a show because I, and by the way, nobody knew I played <laughs> except for people that knew me before 10, like back in the past. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. no, I don't think anybody knew that I played little or sang or anything, you know, yeah, not yeah. that I'm outstanding. I just, but it's, it's such a pleasure, you know. So yeah, but I, I I just would like to play with other people who like to play a little bit uh, more variety of stuff, not just classic rock. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I mean, certain songs are wonderful and everything, but I I like a little bit more of a variety, uh, you know, in my playing too. So yeah, yeah. But you play. I mean, you're in a band, right? Um. No, I, I don't really, like, I, I, I play, um, I mean, I, I got my stuff right here. I'm looking at my stuff and 
I do play. Um, I'll, I'll turn on the amp, and I, I, I have, you know, uh, um, my I have a Telecaster uh, uh, that I. It's plugged into a small uh, orange. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's got the the small amp on top of the mini cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's go- going through a, 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 a thing called a stomp lab. So it's a, a mixture of distortion effects mm-hmm. and 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 delay. And so is it like effect. pedals? Like having pedals? It's like having ninety five pedals in one. Right. Pedal. Yeah, those are popular. I'd like to get one. I would like to try. I would like to get an electric. Uh, well, I actually I have a Gretsch, which is like a hollow body electric. It's it's kind of beat up. It's in my storage place, but I don't know if it's how playable it is. But I would like to play. I would love to, to get. You get other sounds. You know, you get that country thing, or you get the kind of a punky you know, different, very different sound. And plus I'd like to have the confidence that I have with the acoustic on the electric guitar too. Yeah. You know, who has a, a great sound, a great um, like in, internet sound, like a, a, a um, lockdown scheme. Yeah. I, like the, it, they just sound so good. They, they've, they've dialed in their, um, you know this. You know they yeah do a, a, a full kind of sounding is uh, this group um, Galaxy Five Hundred. Remember Galaxy? You know that group, that band. Dean Wareham is the main guy. Uh, he plays the guitar and sings. And um, if you get the chance to look look up, oh, I will. Dean Wareham uh, doing, uh, he, you know, once a month he does a show from his living room. Right. And uh, it just sounds fantastic. You know, they have like a very, you know, kind of a an ambient garage sound, kind of like Yola Tango sure. type of, um, uh, um, you know, guitar, bass, drums, but without the drums. It's just kind of guitar and bass. But the guitar is an electric guitar and it has, you know, he's got a good, nice, smooth sounding, kind of luscious reverb. reverb yeah, 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 sure, sure. Tone and, and his voice is is just great. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, it's, it really is the songs, you know. Right. I, 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 I uh, uh, you know, because um, you're listening to it, it's like, why is this so good? Why? I gotta get the pedal he's using. <laughs> I gotta get, <laughs> get that. Out. He's get using out. a Gresh hollow body. It's because it's a hollow body. That's how he's getting that sound. And it's like, no, it's just a good songwriter. You know, man has a gift. <laughs> it's like. Um, has an ear, has a, a discipline, you know, right. and play a, can play a tune. I can't play a tune. You can play a hundred tunes. It's you know, at, at, like at will. I can't do that. I can't, I couldn't, I, I think maybe there was a time where I, I could, I could pick up the guitar and play, you know, I don't want to spoil the party, so I'll go. 
you know, because I like this. I hate my disappointment to show. There's nothing for me here, so I will disappear. If she turns up while I'm gone, please let me know. I've had a drink or two, but I don't care. Hey, yeah, baby. There's no fun in what I do if she's not there. I wonder what went wrong. I waited for too long. I think I'll take a walk and look for her. Oh, tonight she's made me sad. I still love her. I still love her. Kind of like uh, Kentucky Rain, the Elvis song from the seventies. You know, he's mm-hmm. looking for uh, can't remember the words, uh, but it's, he's in search of. Uh, well, that's kind of like well, lately. Also, I take these little turns, you know, like because out of just interest. Like so, like I went into kind of that Americana country, but not the current stuff. But like I just sort of said, I would like to learn "Gentle on My Mind." I never played that song. I, I'll work on it for a few weeks. I got in it in a day because, I mean, not really. I had to really work on the phrasing. It's so many lyrics in it, and it's all about, you know, you don't want it to sound like you're tripping over the lyrics or rushing it. So you got to really work on that, you know. And I would, I looked at other people's version. I'm like, man, there's some really talented. There's so many talented people. I keep discovering. I'm like, I'll like look at a song, and then I want to see like how other people manage to do it. And then, and I'm like. I didn't know about this person. They're amazing. Uh, there's so many talented musicians. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, it's just that record companies don't support them. That's the problem. But uh, it's not a lot I, of yeah, record yeah. company support now nowadays or at all. You know, it's just uh, doesn't it doesn't happen that way the, the way it used to. The way uh, you know uh, uh, an artist could. Uh, count on his label his or her label not to develop them not to drop them if they decided to not make a record for three years or if they make a like a a, like one that's maybe a commercial failure but they stick with stick with them because you know they are developing the artist that's that's what that meant was to stick with them when they spot somebody with real talent right and um you know they don't do that anyway. It's like you get one opportunity, maybe two if you're lucky. You right. Know. And, the net, uh, you know, a network wouldn't cancel a, a show. Right. You know, just because it 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 didn't, perf- you know, perf- go into the top 10. Right. For a season, you know, it, you know, a, 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 a show had a, a chance to a second chance, you know, they, they gave some of the best they, shows if they had canceled it because of that, they, we would never have seen like all the family or the odd cup, something, whatever it is. Like they just didn't do great in the get smart. I don't know. They're these classics that just didn't do great in the ratings, but you know, fortunately. Yeah. There was not that kind of, uh, I don't know, um, business approach to it, you know? So well, it just seemed like someone, it you know was was uh whoever was was uh running things you know um you know whoever was uh behind the the, the curtain you know in in uh you know who who whoever was the the wizard of oz 
um, yeah, yeah. really controlling everything. That person was at the end of the day uh, a connoisseur, you know, with 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 kind of like good taste in in talent and in writing and in films and literature and you know would would um you know see a show i i would imagine like you know they thought had potential and say no we're gonna leave that out we're not gonna cancel that you know that's that show's gonna they're gonna find themselves in the second season you know we gotta you know keep uh um, um you know there was more uh it wasn't like these rash decisions like all right they're done cancel them yeah well, I think a lot of executives. It's not on the air. It's not doing. It hasn't done the numbers. Can't, just cancel it. And we put all this money into it. Forget about it. Forget about it. Just we gotta cut our losses now. Cut our losses. Yeah. Well, I think you know it definitely was a a line in the you know uh, like a division of, in the Reagan era. Before that, it was like creatives were running the. You know, they become the yeah. executives. Creatives would become executives. And so that was their priority. And then it became numbers people. It all became, they became the corporate, you know, executives. And that was the end. Right. And you'd have those people, you know, they would start showing up at, at, uh, you know, during the rehearsal phase for a Broadway show, for instance, you know, by, by 1980, like there's a great documentary film that, you know, gets into that called Broadway, the golden age. And, you know, uh, uh, you, you, you know, they go, they tell the story of Broadway all the way from, you know, uh, uh, the 20s, the 30s, uh, right. you know, up, up until the 80s, where you got like, uh, an, uh, uh, like uh, um, you know, people who were there around 1984, 85, 86, 87, like uh, the interview, Amanda Plummer, who was doing Cats. Agnes <laughs> Gone, right? And she yeah. was like, right. you know, uh, d- described, a, you know, this sea change, you know, like, I don't know what show she was doing at the time, but it was the first time she ever noticed that like these kind of executive, these corporate types were like in, in the audience during a rehearsal. And it wasn't just the director. It wasn't just the creatives. It was, the, it was these, these other the accountants you know, and the, yeah, the, the board, the board, you know, members or the board of directors. Weeks. You know, that didn't, that didn't belong there, you know, yeah. who, you know, at one time it would be, you know, um, uh, uh, they, they, they knew, they knew their place. <laughs> they did. You know, they wouldn't dare come into a, a rehearsal because they knew that they, you know, handled the percentages and, you know, they didn't have anything to say about, you know, uh, the, and act. they weren't welcome. You know, either welcome, and they they knew, you know, they they could be pushy and they could, you know, uh, you know, maybe they uh had other ways of uh of being persuasive, you know, uh, you know, I'm you know, sure there were people who were who uh weren't creatives who who were really their gift was to to know the bottom line and know how to keep business running, but who also, you know. Uh, again, like had had taste in in in, uh, in things, you know. And yeah, maybe weren't weren't uh, you know. But now they still, take still interesting to have dinner with at the monkey uh, at the monkey, monkey bar. bar, you know. But now they'll but but it's, there it changes. Even like an ex, like an executive though, let's say they weren't 
necessarily creative, but they came through the the, the theater as a Schubert organization or whatever, Nederland or whatever. But then you have then somebody from an oil company now moves over, you know what I mean, to the, the theater corporation or to the music company, you know what I'm saying? And somebody from insurance company is now put into place because they know how to run the business, you know? So it's, of course, that's going to, then they put in place all the people that they bring with them or they, you know, it's, it of course it changes the culture of any company. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all just a commodity. It's just all anyway. Right. So, I, I mean, I can kind right. of, I, I don't know. There, I, I suppose there are certain, you know, ways of looking at at things um, at any at any point in time in, a, in any kind of profession where it's like, hey, man, you know, you you want to be an actor? Huh? You want to be an actor? You want to you want to pound the pavement and hit the you know the audition circuit and you know do you know this is what you got to do? You, it's like Joe Pesci and Joe in Goodfellas where he's like fucking kind of you know he's got to beat he's got to he's got to he's like Mo Green you know I gotta I gotta knock a few I gotta knock heads to make things run right only Tommy from Goodfellas swashed like a right but, but he's, he beats up the smashes the game he's like what do you mean don't be like that right <laughs> yeah he's like, keep him here keep him here it's 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 <laughs> it's like it but it's work that's their work. That's the guy's job. That's yeah, his right. work. And yep. he's trying to tell that to Henry Hill, where he's like, get this fucking champagne all over me. You know, you're supposed to be doing this stuff too, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you leave me here, everybody gets mad at me because I'm the one who's kicking ass when fucking asses need to be kicked, and you're just sitting there, you know, next, you know, you, you could be a stool. You sit here five more minutes, you could be a stool in this place. And, um, so there's a similar kind of attitude. It's like, it's not about acting, right? And you think you're an artist and it's shit. It's business. It's show business. And if you don't understand that, then you don't know how to be in show business. You know, it's, it's not about, you know, being Van Gogh. It's, 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 it's show business. It's a business. You know, so it's, you know, it's, uh, you can, you know, I guess there are a lot of different ways to, to approach it. True. You know, some people decide, you know, they can get a, 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 a you know, book a, a, a national commercial, you know, make a lot of money right away. Bill Hicks did, talks about that in some routine, you know, he was, uh, he, well, he was, uh, um, really giving it to Jay Leno about you know doing a, a Doritos commercial or something after really? he was yeah. already rich, you know after he had you know uh, um, gone after the Tonight Show and 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 you know uh, snatched it from you know the jaws of. David Letterman or whatever, you know, so just a ruthless show business, classic, ruthless move, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's kind of like Tommy and Goodfellas. It's like, oh, so were you telling me I, that I, I shouldn't have it's done that? It's right. It's nothing personal. It's just business. It's just business. It's like a guy's hiding in the closet during a, a meeting between Letterman and like, 
you know, all that kind of the, the yeah. you know, um, uh, was he not supposed to do that? <laughs> oh, you, you, you should. What, what, what are, you, are we supposed to say shame on you, Jay? You know, I want to, I, I wouldn't mind being the host of the Tonight Show, but I'm not going to go to all that trouble. <laughs> but you're supposed to. You're supposed to be doing this. So, anyway. I, but he never touched his Tonight Show money, right? Wasn't that what he said? He only he lived off of his stand-up money. Interesting. I, I, I um, or the other way around. But I have a feeling it was the stand-up money. He, he just anyway. Yeah. And then he, um, there of course was another whole round of that with Conan, Conan, right? Like, uh, right. He had his whole. Um, where he left and then he came back. You know. Yeah. Right. So it, it wasn't just. Uh, um it's 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 is that is that just like a, a show business move or is that a Jay Leno move? You know? Because he, he he did it again with Conan. He did it yeah. with but neither Leonard and he did it with, with Conan. Yeah, but he could also argue, I guess maybe Jay knew that at the end, like that he was much more of the uh, like, you know, he was the corporate guy. He was gonna be I I mean, you know. Letterman really wasn't a man of the people. I mean, he's kind of become that way in his older age now on his Netflix show. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you remember the, there was an episode of, uh, uh, of Letterman. Um, uh, was it 2004 or 2008? Who was it? I th- maybe he had like Mitt Romney on the show or something, somebody, you know, like that. And um, he was like, well, you know, the path to the presidency, it goes right by this desk, you know, traditionally, he, you know, his letterman on his show. It's like no one's ever made it into the presidency who didn't, you know, uh, first succeed on, on, on uh, late on, night, you know, on late night? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that one. He, I mean, he did, he was tongue in cheek. Right. But, I see it was a joke. Okay. That makes more sense. But it was still like, it got a got big applause. Right. It was, it was a that great line. It could not have been it, Mitt it, Romney, it, though. It was a great line, but it was great because it was kind of true. Yeah. Because, you know, he had Letterman, okay, not a man of the people, but also a man of the people. Yeah. You know, well, right, but not the showbiz version of it. Like, in other words, well, his, I, I, I see his, what you mean. His, his, his brand was so much more. Uh, ironic and and um it was like a character he was playing almost whereas you know i think lena was more came i mean i'm just telling you the way they came off i don't know what they were like when they went home at night but leno be developed into just sort of like the working guy it's a joke because you know but he would you know i mean he became like kind of just the the regular guy and lena and letterman was kind of aloof and you would understand why conservative people might not find him, you know, like, yeah, he seems very obnoxious. <laughs> what, what is he doing when, like, these women are coming on? He's, like, stroking their arms and complimenting their, I mean, he would have, you know, but, but you know, he was, uh, let's face it, he put on a better show. 
He put on a better show. It's like, you, show. Which, which show would you, you know, rather... Oh, like there's that. no... When Letterman came on, and I remember the first episode I saw was the night before I went to college, I think. It was Where the first you know? episode. And I had known him from his morning show. I, I liked him already, but yeah. I didn't... But when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, this is... And his first guest was like Bill Murray, I think. It's just, it, I just could see from the very first episode because I watched it when that night i was just like this guy is he's doing something <laughs> so different his whole patter and his humor <laughs> just brilliant just brilliant yeah he he had like um you know like i i felt the same way i felt the same way you know like everybody felt that way like <laughs> this guy is great you know he's yeah. just kind of like he walks out in sneakers and a yeah exactly he had on those sneakers and chinos and i don't know yeah it was pretty cool um the band is cool like it's just kind of relaxed and um uh like i remember you know like uh what was that like 84 or 83 years what when he started or yeah when 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 the letterman show started oh no i think it was actually 82 82 yeah because i i think Unless I'm, I may be wrong, but I think it was the fall of '82. Because I, 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 in my memory, and I, of course I could reinvent it in my head, but the memory is that, like, then the first night I was a nervous wreck because I was going to be going off to school, and actually just a few miles from where I am right now, and um, and I just remember putting on the Letterman sh- this new show, but but I would have, I don't know, I could be remember- remembering yeah. things wrong, but it was wrong. Well, he really. You know, uh, he, so it's it makes sense that Bill Murray was his first guest because, you know, let's face it, he was, let's be honest, he was doing kind of what Bill Murray had been doing for a few years <laughs> right. already, which was right. cultivating this, <laughs> that kind of dry, off, cool. cool, like, you know. Um, bit of a hipster, a bit of a geek. Combination. Yeah, self-aware geek kind of owning it. Yeah, there's something that he was doing. You know, um, this is a really good time. Yeah, and it was all in that building, right? Um, Thirty Rock. Thirty Rock. Yeah, you know they had. I was I was just watching like uh, the best of Letterman um, and Brenda. You know the the. Uh, office worker across Sixth Avenue. They had the camera. They oh, right. would across Sixth Avenue to some random office. Uh-huh. Well, it was random. The first time they did it, they decided they didn't know who who it was going to be until they found. Um, I think her name's Brenda. Wow. Oh. And they they started to they got her to come across the street and be on the show, and then she turned out to be like pretty cool herself. And so he would just check in with her like once, you know, every week. And then she was on the show about 35 times. Wow. Um, in the first year that they. Because yeah. uh, he would do that then. Right? With this idea. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. They... And then he, then he started getting the guy who ran the deli down on the, on the sure. floor of the CVS building. And you know they used to have make the, you know call the the, the payphone on the corner of Broadway. Yes, yes. I, I tell you, I used to hang around that corner 
get out of here. Every chance I hoping, got. Hoping, it was, hoping that the phone would ring. And if I, only that would have happened, you would have had a career. You could have oh. had a career. <laughs> I was going to do it. It was like, this. I want to get on TV somehow, man. Um, I went to one taping. But it was way, you know, I think it might have even been the second incarnation. But I went to one taping. And it was because um, I had a friend in from out of town. And some, and we just decided we did, would do it. Because, you know, you know, as a New Yorker, just never did that kind of thing. And I've never been to Santa Live, but anyway, I um, and we went to it, and Joan Rivers was the guest, and it was her first time on the. It was the first time, maybe her last, ever doing that show. Oh wow! But uh, I was just listening to this fantastic um, podcast with uh, Al Franken does a show, and you know, I mean, way before he was a senator and uh, or an ex senator, he was a writer on the first generation of Saturday Night Live and he had Letterman he has Letterman on this his show right now it's on the podcast and they do this really long conversation and what's wonderful about it is that it really spends the majority of time talking about those old days it's a really good for anybody who's a fan of that period to listen to uh Franken Al Franken's podcast which is a political show typically but then he, Letterman? he brought Letterman on for this really long it's like two hours long Wow. fantastic because they they go down memory lane you know and the writers they worked with because you know there was a lot of back and forth and you know it's a fun it's a good episode it's good it's good it's good oh yeah 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 All and letterman's right. very generous you know in his the way just talking about anything that he wants you know that al franken brings up and just yeah, yeah he's but very present which is nice. You know, it's nice to see that with somebody who's like a yeah. billionaire probably or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Letterman. Uh, did you ever do that show, by the way? No. I, I, I went to um, um, I had a, a, a friend who was a um, publicist for a musician and and he says you should come by uh the, at Sullivan Theater um so and so's the musical guest right so i i got to walk in with him you know the show had already been on like it was like second it was like pulling a second acting a second acting a a, a broadway right. show sure sure well, poor actors would uh, often walk in at the intermission cuz they couldn't afford a seat yeah i did that That's once i did that for a yeah. Speed the plow when Madonna was in it, um, wow. and, and it was like, was it Harvey Keitel? No, it was Joe Mantegna, Joe Mantegna. and Mantegna. and Ron Silver. Wow, and 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 like in you the know, same place. A couple of minutes after the second act began, a crazy person walked up onto the stage. Uh, that was me. That was you. Yeah, no, I remember it <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, Joe Mantegna, uh, Mantan, Mantegna. That's a hard one, I know. Uh, he grabbed you by your by the arm and let, and escorted you off the stage. Without, <laughs> Thank without, you for reminding me. Without breaking the play. Yeah, um, I've heard a lot of stories like that. Um, it was pretty smooth. But uh, um, I felt that sensation going in to see uh, Letterman. 
I was really excited to, you know, I'd never seen David Letterman in, in person. And um, I, I was immediately uh, kind of amazed by how small the theater was. It was like, a, it was, it was like, that's, this is, this where is the Beatles played. <laughs> where the Beatles played is where yeah. the Elvis played. Every time Christopher Walken was a guest on the show. Yeah. Remember that guy? He was in the letter. It was up young at Sullivan. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think if I'm not mistaken. Topos. Yeah. Man. The Honeymooners was performed on that stage. The, in the Sullivan Theater. Do you think they shot the series there? Or are you saying maybe specials or? No, I think that's where the classic 39 episodes was, was filmed. I could be wrong. Right. I could. And, be, however, Art Carney did have an apartment on uh, 50, 56th Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been in the building that he used to live in. He used to live in that building. He had an apartment there. He'd walk down to the theater to do the show. That's in my mind. Okay. Well, then you might, uh, be, you might be right there. Yeah. He apparently uh, struggled quite a bit. He um... Art Carney. Yeah, I was reading about, and I had on the author of a new book on, again, I'm bringing up another book on Mike Nichols, not the same one that brought me to the monkey bar, which we I brought up at the beginning, but this was a more recent book by Mark Harris, who's Tony Kushner's husband. He wrote a new book on Mike Nichols. It's really good. Oh, and yeah. Ilian and I just had, we did it the show together with this guy. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Did and you... uh, uh, so, so, um, and in the book, it talks about when Mike Nichols directed The Odd Couple on Broadway. And of course, it was Art Carney and Walter Matthau. And uh, Art Carney really struggled during that. He was trying to give up booze and he was depressed and going through a really hard time. Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is hard to hear because what an amazing, you know, just one of those great people you know who you just love because you know maybe they weren't the greatest comedian at, uh, although you know that's arguable he, he could be up there and, or and he wasn't maybe the greatest direct uh, but he could kind of do everything really well and with his heart you know you got that feeling and you just just loved watching this guy perform act you know art carney so it's always hard to hear that they struggled you know with demons and um yeah, uh, Walter Matthau apparently was really difficult, though. That that was another thing. It was he's really supposedly not a pleasant, or at least in that period of his career, yeah. like he was really wanting to be a leading man, and he'd yeah. come out of all these years of being a character actor or a heavy, which yeah. I guess is an extension of a character actor, and um, but he wanted to be like you know a romantic comic lead, which he managed to do, and yeah. you know so. But uh, that's why I want you to see a new leaf as soon as you can. And that's also on the Criterion channel, by the way, right now. And you, I just showed it. I say, I told a friend was over here the other night and I, she, she, I showed it to her. She, she just loved it. She ate it up. She was laughing. And I it was like the third time I've seen it in a year. I'm just like, it's hysterical. I have to see it. You do. I think you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know your taste now and it's up there. It's at that period where, you know, it's like, in that, like you mentioned the heartbreak kid in our messages and 
few other films of that time it's it's like in that cluster it's you know very yeah. much you know I, I gotta tell you i the the heartbreak kid was so it was such a strange movie it is strange it, it, it seemed like it seemed in a way more dated than a than a movie from the 60s or the 50s even like it was like i i I was like, I know that's Charles Grodin, but it's like a different Charles Grodin than I like. Really, so, you had I'm can't like, believe you hadn't seen it before. I and I got to tell you, my parents that came out. I looked it up. It came out in '72, and my parents took me to see that when it came out. Like they were out, and I guess they didn't want to leave me. Maybe they decided. They'll just take me, even though it was really not the right movie for me to. I mean, I I enjoyed it. I remember enjoying it. I can remember I was nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, you know what? I, I really it it got it did start to get to me, and I, I suppose I did start to feel the, you know, the real um, pull of the movie. You know, the what makes the movie really uh, uh, t- kind of timeless, or you know, kind of worth seeing even now in 2021 it's the uh, i guess the uh was it genie berlin yeah uh, May's daughter. when he is telling her i want to leave the marriage and he's in the middle of the restaurant oh, he takes her to the restaurant and she's just like like she's drowning right it's um, painful to watch that it's very it, hard to watch. yeah yeah that's when it was like this is this is the the real yeah. um resonant part of this of this film yes totally yeah yeah i mean that right that's like the centerpiece of the film everything pivots of course because then he goes off you know and it almost becomes a little bit like the graduate yeah pursuit of sybil shepherd the same way dustin hoffman goes off in search of Catherine ross in the graduate you know there's kind of almost like a a parallel thing going on there that's right. And, you know, look, here's what the, the Heartbreak Kid reminded me of. Here's what Charles Grodin reminded me of. He reminded me of William Macy and Fargo. He seemed to have, like, this guy's not right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little, there's something it's awful. Very, yeah. I, do you remember? Okay. So he I always willing right. to sell out his, 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 his wife like that. <laughs> Uh, sell out anybody like he would do that it's so true no he's so evil because he like he's like trump he has no fiber no moral center there's nothing telling him what's the right and the wrong thing to do so i just remember when uh francis mcdormand francie mcdormand excuse me when she goes and his he's caught you know he's essentially caught but he's in she's in his office and he keeps taking phone calls and he kind of just rocks back in his office. Do you remember that? <laughs> and he's sort of just nodding and he's rocking. It's that moment is, I, I don't know. I, I just see it in my head all the time. And I sometimes will do that. I'll be in my, like in a chair. And I'll, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm that guy, you know, in that moment, like I could just embody that moment or that aerial shot where he's on the top of the roof of the parking a garage and he's scraping the window and yeah. his father-in-law and the accountant just to refuse to give him any money for this idea they're going to take the idea <laughs> you know, but they're not, they're not cutting him in 
<laughs> and he just goes crazy on the windshield. Remember, there's just I don't know that 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 movie. Uh, that also, that's a top one. That's a top favorite. There are things like that, you know, what yeah. we're describing here, where an actor, it's right. It's, it's kind of like I'm trying to square this. You said before about there's so much talent out there, although we were talking about music at that point. But I think, I mean, I was just looking at this. Don't ask me why. I, I, I was looking at this. You know, I just came across this article. I read this article last night in. Uh, some publication by the, when I got to the end of the article, there was a, you know, if you like this article, you might enjoy this one. And it was about, and it was like an, an obituary for some actor. And, and then that led to, I'm telling you like 50 other profiles of actors that died in 2020. And, and I couldn't stop reading them all night long, you know, going to the rabbit hole, man. Frankly, I was, you know, I, I was kind of like, (laughs) this is where we end up isn't it you know every you know one story after the other you know where it's like um so and so loved life (laughs) you know they all loved life didn't they everything kind of like you know the same thing well you haven't you don't read you know so and so hated life (laughs) i'd love to read one that said that yeah Um, marty you know what Marty Feldman's last words, he had a heart attack in Mexico City uh, uh, working on a yellow beard with Graham Chapman. And, and Marty Feldman had like a, a very happy marriage. And, and his wife was, was, you know, really charming and beautiful. She watched this. There's a documentary called Six Degrees of Marty Feldman, I think it's called. I may have seen it, but okay. And, um, um, and yeah, Loretta was his wife, and and she, the pictures of them together and the footage of them together, you, she adored him, and who didn't, you know? Right. He was so funny, and you know, according to to her, that's what the kind of marriage that he offered her, you know. He she was just never without laughter. He always made her laugh, and he loved her, and. Um, um, they never said goodbye to each other. If he was going off to work, they had an agreement about, oh, we're not going to get into all, you know, that. it's like, see you later, not goodbye type of thing. And then he had a heart attack and, you know, he um, died and that's how he went back to England. But his last words, he said to Graham Chapman, please tell Loretta something for me. So I love you very much, and I'm so happy that I never had to put my thing in someone else. <laughs> and uh, you know, she had like just like you know all those tons of like fan mail that, that she got around to reading. You know, two or three years right. after he died, or yeah. Yeah, I, I bought it. You know, I told you I bought yeah. his, his autobiography, so that's where I got that. I was just reading it today, in, you I, know, on the John. <laughs> well, we're, we're uh, it's funny because, like I said, my I showed Young Frankenstein to my my kid, and this is like I'm not sure if it was last year or 2019 or whatever. It wasn't that long ago, but and it, it was just like, who is that guy? You know, we just yeah. sort of grew up with guys that looked like that. I think. 
maybe not quite as extreme as Marty Feldman, but there were a lot of funny looking people then, you know, where they weren't all so quaffed and, you know, <laughs> handsome, handsome. Like you could be a movie star and look like uh, Woody Allen, I guess, or, you know. Yeah, or, you know. You know, I mean, they were just, you could even like be the lead in the film is my point. You, you, you know, when the top cast. You know, like I, I'll tell you, my favorite character on MASH was always Radar. Cause yeah. I like, that's who I was drawn to, you know, like I, I identified with him, you know, Gary Berghoff. Yeah, who's uh, <laughs> still around apparently. But uh, I, I, I thought, well, he wasn't he like, is he the only one to come out of the movie? I think he, he might, might be. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. He, uh, but he, his band, his, his routine that he would do with, uh, uh, you know, McLeod, McLeod, uh, what was his name? No, I got right. it wrong. Uh, McLean Stevenson. McLean, thank you. McLean <laughs> Stevenson. I was thinking Gavin McLeod, it was the wrong show. But, uh, <laughs> McLean Stevenson, um, the two of them, it was beautiful. Oh, That's yeah. Classic yeah. comedy team. I mean, those early, I mean, you know, the show kind of became something different with the cast changing and everything. But the first season or two with those two guys, you know, and Larry Linville, I mean, well, you know, <laughs> a whole thing. I mean, that guy was a psycho. Psycho, right? <laughs> <laughs> they just don't write. He's just... <laughs> unbelievable i was thinking about him today man larry linville how great was he oh my god he was great you ever see like an inter in like when you see him interviewed he's so nice he's so he? like yeah not not frank burns burns yeah <laughs> that was also but that was a great cast in movie too they, it was just one of those cases where they did a great job in both like Right, and you know, who, they, Robert Duvall played Frank Burns, didn't he? Oh my God, are you? No, did he? Was he Frank Burns? I think you might be right. I think you might be right. I think he, unbelievable. And uh, Sally Kellerman, of course, and uh, um, yeah. And then, of course, you know, Ellie Gould. And, oh, it was just an incredible cast. Yeah. They did a good job with the TV cast, too, I thought. Yeah. You know, I, I really loved uh, uh, um, the actor. Um, God, he did a lot of voiceover work after uh, he, he narrated the uh, that uh, series, the series about New York by um, not Ken Burns, the other Burns. Rick Burns? Not Ed Burns. Uh, uh, no, Rick. Rick Burns. Yeah, they did the, the series about New York from you know sixteen hundred to you know twenty twenty. You know, it came out right before the nine eleven attacks, and then they went back and made a special. Wait, episode. did it come out of Mash? Are you saying, or was it a different a different actor? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Winch- no, Winchester. Uh, oh, uh, David Ogden Stiers. Yes, yes, that guy. Yeah, he died recently. <laughs> from- you know, like I, I know what you mean. How the the vibe of the show changed when when people would leave. No, but like, he was a good character because he was like a he was he that was a good character because he was yeah, yeah, yeah. individual and he was 
also a villain in a, or he was the not the villain, what an adversary in that you know so he he was in a fortunate position he could be i mean i didn't think that the character played the replacement for wayne whatever you know the the honeycut i, I like that character it was all right but it wasn't standout like but when they brought in winchester and i remember that line he goes uh you know he's responding to somebody saying about how you know it's so hot they're saying it's very hot first he goes first of all gentlemen a winchester never sweats he perspires second of all a winchester never perspires (laughs) (laughs) you know i just thought that was terrific good writing yeah look at the writers on that show yeah oh yeah larry gelbarton sure sure um um i wonder um whoever wrote the 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 season the series finale man that was like especially winchester's whole storyline about like you know uh training those pow's to play mozart he hears them like and oh god that was great oh yeah yeah man that's great. I think about that a lot. I remember yeah. seeing that when it when it came on live, you know, or, or the night that it aired, and then yeah, I remember, you know, watching it a million times. Sure. You're taping it on VHS. You did. Yeah. I think I taped it on my little tape recorder because I, you know, yeah. I just I wanted to remember it because it was such an important show for me too when I was a kid. Yeah. And, um, but I, yeah, I remember that piece of music now that you mention it, and um. Yeah, that was very emotional. Was that the one where? Yeah, and they played with these makeshift instruments, right? That's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's beautiful. Um, was it also Hawkeye? Didn't he also have like a nervous breakdown? He was coming. That was that thing, right? He was coming out of a nervous breakdown because <laughs> and Alan and Alan Arbus, the great Alan Arbus. <laughs> was on that right he played the psychiatrist and oh, was, what a what a time yeah yeah right and he was like <laughs> right he gets uh he gets uh hawkeye to remember something that he's yeah the 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 woman who kills her child right yes she wouldn't shut it's that damn chicken would you shut that chicken <laughs> was he remembered as a chicken <laughs> gonna kill us you know they're all gonna die <laughs> um i remember I'm I, getting I, an I, emmy I, for that one he's thinking i'm gonna get the emmy for that episode if it kills me <laughs> <laughs> it's a baby <laughs> i'm getting the emmy yeah he, he 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 was going for it you know he was, he was. For, for swinging for the fences <laughs> totally <laughs> But he had already gotten an Emmy by then, I think. You know, I think What's that? he had already won an Emmy. At oh, that. I know. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> and he was like one of the highest paid TV actors, I'm sure, at that and point. He did a cartwheel uh, when he won his Emmy. He cartwheeled <laughs> down the aisle. Here's a, something you wouldn't know. You know, I can do an Alan Alda. You do an Alan Alda? Yeah, I'm doing it now. I'm doing my Alan Alda now. <laughs> well, I got to get back. I got to. You know, I got to get into it. Like it's I, saw him, I, I saw him on Broadway once. Me he was too. standing outside the Opera Espresso. Oh, you saw him on the street Broadway. Yeah, he was talking to someone and it was like, wow, that sounds just like Alan. 
that is Alan Alda. <laughs> he's look, he's talking to somebody. Yeah, I saw him. I saw him on, I, I seen him on the street, but uh, not talking to somebody. I just saw him like right by Lincoln Center once. But I saw him on Broadway in a revival of Glen Gary Glenn Ross. Wow, it was an all like one of these amazing casts. But he was yeah, he uh, was in it. He's so great in uh. Well, he's just great, you know. Uh, but in um, I'm sure he was great in that the Carol Chessman story. Um, <laughs> what are you gonna bring up? I'm I'm thinking of um, uh, um, Woody Allen. No, 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 no. Uh, um, Louis C.K.'s show. Oh, right. Yeah. Horace and Pete. Horace and Pete. Sure. And Alan Alda was tremendous in that. He was so great in that. Um, well, but... two things. Steve, um, my ex-wife was in that show. Oh. She played his girlfriend, not the. The last couple of episodes or towards the end. Do you remember that? I don't know if you remember yet. It was like has African American girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it turns out maybe it was a guy. She was a guy at one. Like she had transitioned or something. Like she, you can't be sure if she was telling the truth or not, or he's she was fucking with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, it's my my ex wife. And so the other thing is Loretta Swit, her manager. Was my is my was my uncle my great uncle? He handled a lot of TV stars, some movie stars, but mostly like TV people. And she was his like bread and butter. Oh, wow. So I got when he I get when he died, I got to meet her because she you know we were at the funeral. And I got to <laughs> it was like very very surreal. Yeah, that's a, that's a wild way I would say to, to yeah to meet someone over like her. you know like a deli platters in the. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Like she has a moment in MASH that is is um to, to bring it back to what we were saying about like like William Macy in in, in uh Fargo. Fargo and like you we're know just like kind of leaning back and nodding, yeah. Go ahead. Just like um uh um an actor if if they're lucky, well Hopefully, you know, maybe can have one moment in their career that where they find the the David inside the marble, the marble. And, and it's like her. She has this moment where, you know, famous episode called The Nurses. And, oh, you yeah. know, where, where she's like feels put out, you know, they're by, not accepting by, her. the nurses, but they're like. She's they're terrified of her. Yeah. And then just just to to uh, to think about the performance it gets it it it's it's like it, she captured it so much. Yeah, you're right. I remember that moment where she 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 I think she surprised herself in that performance cuz she she seems to catch her self like she, <laughs> yeah, she yeah. cracks right she cracks she starts to cry and she doesn't i don't think she's anticipating that she's gonna get she's gonna cry you're right just remembering that moment all of a sudden you start getting a little bit emotional <laughs> about it because it's such a but that show became like a i don't the petri dish isn't the right word for it because it has such a negative connotation but but it became this uh place where these actors could start doing things like that and you know 
it lost that off the comedy that it had with the, you know, in the early years when it became much more of a sentimental show and more about idea, like, you know, the anti, but the anti-war thing was more straightforward as opposed to more, you know, hidden behind humor. Yeah. Like it was in the, but you know, then it became like no laugh, no laugh track in the, in the operating room. <laughs> it was like, that was their thing. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, they had to at some point. That's a great performance. You're right. That was her Loretta Switz moment in all of her career, probably. Yeah, I mean, and she added a lot of moments, but that was definitely no, no, but yeah, but that was the big one. Yeah, that was a big one. Uh, but uh, yeah, at some point, they they had to reckon with the fact that you know the show was going on longer than than the Korean War. You know, <laughs> eleven years. The Korean War, I think, it was three. Yeah. So um, they, they, um, they just had more stories to tell. And as long as, as it was uh, a vehicle in which they could, you know, do stuff, then they were going to do it. And Alan Alda, I guess, you know, became more of a, a creative force behind sure, it. Sure, sure. It was his show, yeah. And, um, you know, he, he could sort of, um, you know, certainly appreciate the significance of the show as a cultural staple, you know, and, and like almost like a, um, I remember Brando lamenting in that Connie Chung interview in 1990 that there was no national theater. And yet, you know, every once in a while, like for example, I would submit that like, you know, mash was the was a you know a possible um proxy you know national theater type of enterprise you know where it was just like a hit show that was keeping actors employed and keeping writers employed and and maintaining a a a reputation for integrity and you know, uh, hold, upholding a, 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 a standard, a dramatic uh, standard mm-hmm. uh, for, for really up until it ended. You know, some shows struggle. They have, you know, really poor seasons, you know, like, or, you know, they uh, even Jackie Gleason didn't want to do the Honeymooners after one season. Because he's like, it's, we, we did it, you know, it's like, yeah, I could see it. Or like uh, Ricky Gervais with The Office or something, you know? Well, it's a little different because they it's just, a little bit. All, I, they're, I, they're all, they all do two, two, two and done. Usually. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it's just so yeah. interesting how um, sometimes, um, you know, a show that uh, sort of I found, I went at the very beginning of the pandemic when, we were in serious lockdown, you know, so like I knew like we were kind of like, don't go out if you absolutely, unless you absolutely must, you know, do not go out. So I was, we were home like all the time. And I started watching Bob Newhart show. Oh. Because on Hulu. So I started just watching, because I had seen it when it was a kid. It was on between Mary Tyler Moore and Carol Burnett. It was like an evening, you know, for us, like in our age, right? So uh, if you were like me you're 
didn't go out very much as a young guy. So, and I would watch those shows, but Bob Newhart was so dry and the pace of his, like his patients were funny, but he, he, his whole demeanor was more mature for mature. I thought people, you know, that was the way. Anyway, I never seen them all. And I didn't remember all the episodes, but I was watching them episode chronologically from the first through. And at a certain point, the show just stopped. It wasn't that funny anymore. It, it, the first few, it just, it, it, um, they moved to a different apartment in the same building for some reason. They just moved them into this other apartment because it was more modern or glamorous looking or something. It was like a weird thing to do for, there was no reason on earth why they had to do that. Um, they did that with Maritime more too now that I think about it. They just decided to move her into a different apartment. But anyway, and, and they just, there, there's something wrong with the, that maybe they got new writers. I don't know. But the show quality just it wasn't as good. Yeah, you could tell you could it's noticeable. Yeah, but you can only do that if you're like <laughs> have the opportunity to see. There aren't too many shows where I could, I would have the patience to do that. But Bob Newhart, unbelievable guy, unbelievable humor. Unbelievable. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And Suzanne Plachet was just adorable and. They were so good together. Uh, she was under, I don't know if she was underappreciated. Maybe she was appreciated, but her, her straight, she was just really good at, she, you know, being like a little bit of a spitfire kind of. She wasn't, you know, she always wanted more for herself and her life. You know, she, it was really good. Like her character, she really did a good job with that. If you watch those early seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I um. I remember reading Leonard, uh, like I used to buy the Leonard Malton film yeah, sure. guide. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I don't know if he publishes it anymore. It's too, it's, it would be like this big now. Yeah. No. You know, I got it in 1982 from uh, Coliseum Books on 57th and Broadway. Yeah, of course. Uh, the 82, 83 edition. And um, um, yeah, I think that's I, I had that for for a bunch for 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 a couple of years, and 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 um, uh, like there are certain reviews that stick out in my memory for I don't know why, but there was a a, a review of a movie that had Suzanne Plachette in it, and and it only got two stars. And um, um, Leonard Walton is has a lot of negative things to say about it. And one of the negative, one of the, his criticisms of this film is that Suzanne Plachette is wasted. Oh, not not that she's no, I know what you mean. She's misused or underutilized. Right. Not that she's high on. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Suzanne, how can you waste? The opportunity to have Suzanne Plachette, yeah, your movie. What are you thinking? You know, um, and and where is she now? And um, uh, but uh, oh, another another sort of uh, finding the David in the in the rock uh, mm-hmm. moment that <laughs> I in the in the um, you know when I was reading the obituary section of the of the paper, uh, you know, deaths of 2020, the actress who played 
Mrs. Kintner in Jaws. Yes. She pulls back her black veil and smacks Roy Scheider in the face. She had the two sons or something, or what was her deal? Her son, Alex, Alex, Alex. And um, she's like, Chief Brody, whap! My, uh, (laughs) you know, she's known for. Yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah. And then Murray Hamilton says, I'm sorry. Uh, she's wrong. And, and, and uh, uh, what is, what is uh, Chief Brody say? No, she's not. Um, but she, uh, yeah. So in, in the obituary, it says that she, you know, it's an iconic moment. Um, and she only did one or two other movies after that. Um, but mainly uh, was the artistic director of a theater in Martha's Vineyard. Oh, and um, not too far from that uh, location. Oh, really? Did they? Re- well, didn't they? Re- wasn't that? Was that done on the Cape, or was that done on what's it called? Um, no, no, it wasn't on the Cape because it was Long Island. It was shot on Long Island, so I'm mistaken. It was all shot on Long Island. What, Jaws? Yeah. Right. Was it? Well, it's supposed to take place there, wasn't it? I thought so. Oh, I, I thought it was in New England. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that like Jaws takes place in New England. I thought it was Long Island. If caller, if callers should... Uh, as if anybody's listening. Um, <coughs> takes place in L.A., doesn't it? Maybe just two or three. Doesn't it take place? <laughs> I think it's Long Island. It's gotta be Long Edward Island. Island. Let's let's just not know. We'll just not. We're not going to look it up. Um. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you want that? You want to have? There's going to be eventually a. I'm surprised it hasn't been done yet. Like there seems to be a new trend now like on because they are so many you know because they have to fill up these all these cable channels with and and uh, you know streaming platforms with episodic content right so there just seems to be a lot of looking back at classic movies and making them into episode taking you know a character or, or a storyline and growing it for the series right they've done it yeah with ratchet and uh most recently yeah, right. It's motel. They keep, you know, they're doing it a lot. So I'm surprised there hasn't been a version of that with like the Brodies or something, you know, or something. Where they go back to the original story and they kind of like Fargo is a series, but it's it's kind of in a Fargo universe. It's not so based on the movie. Are you saying that there uh are you imagining a a pre Jaws show about the about Chief Brody's family or about Brody? Maybe Brody's a young guy. Like they're doing that with, um, that's kind of what Gotham, like my son, you know, I had Donald, Donald Logue on recently. Cause yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Gotham. This new indie Donald Logue. And he, he uh, was in Gotham and that's sort of a, kind of a, a similar idea where they, they make Gordon commissioner Gordon when he was a young 
detective trying to clean up the city, you know. So it's kind of an interesting idea, and they, they, I guess they had some success with that. But uh, And then, you know, it was a clever conceit, whether you like the show or not, um, because, you know, the, making all the sort of second-level characters become eventually, in the future, they're, they become the super the villains, you know, that populate the Batman stories line. And it's kind of interesting. Yeah. How these these people are kind of rethinking all these classic, you know, stories again. And I think it did you hear about this that there is a a new movie and it's again it's a narrative film. It's not a documentary about the making of God the Godfather. Have you heard something about that? Yes. Okay, I thought I have. You're in it. No, I'm not in it. That's uh, a but I, 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 um, trying to, uh, you know, I, I, I'm wondering who, you know, you got to know who, what, what part you want, you know, you got to. Oh, and then you got to. Then you got to go for it. You know, I, I, I have the script. Um, I haven't read it. Oh, interesting. Um, because I, I don't think it's it's they're not making it. It's like it's not in production right now. Right. There's no. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're shooting it right now. I don't know. I don't want to like get all you know worked up about it because maybe I can't be in it for one reason or another. You know. Okay. And um, uh, yeah. but a sensitive thing. You know. But I, I could pull a, you know, I could get, I could find my inner Jay Leno and really try to. That's right. You know? Yeah. I mean, I can read that script, you know, from end to end and, and figure out what I want out of it, you know? And what then strategize. Right. And then come up with a strategy for how you're going to <laughs> it's manipulate the, you know, the world into giving you that part. And, you know, chances are, you know, that if I'm thinking that way about it, Mm-hmm. There are already like ten other actors who are have been thinking of that way about it for a while, who are, you know, more prepared to 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 seize the opportunity or you know to find the opportunity and um, or, or you know maybe the people who you know I, I would think that whoever's the big creative force behind that project Mm -hmm. already knows who to get the way Coppola did, you know, Coppola knew who he wanted, right? He knew he wanted Al Pacino. He had to, you know, he really had to guard. He had to protect that choice and Brando too. He, he, you know, uh, uh, He's like, we gotta have these guys in these. I parts. thought they were gonna give it to uh, Burt Lancaster. Who are they gonna before Brando? Um, I don't remember. It's somebody like that. Lawrence Olivier, I think. Lawrence Olivier, maybe. Yeah. Anthony Quinn. I don't remember that one. I think it was like a Burt Lancaster might have been considered. Um, Can you imagine? It's it's uh, 
it ended up being, you know, those guys. But I suppose, you know, I try, I imagine like Al Pacino playing the, the, the priest in the exorcist, you know, like he could have done it. He could have done it. Could have been him. Um, as opposed to uh you mean Jason the you, Miller? Huh? Jason Miller. Jason Miller. Yeah, the who yeah, the younger uh, Max von Sidow. Max von Sidow. Now he died in but, 2020 also. Amazing. He outlived Jason Miller by a long time, that's for sure. He did, he did. Who was his other son? Patrick uh who is uh Jason Patrick rather, right? Is that Jason one of Patrick is the son of Jason Miller. Right. And who's the other and, and the grandson other? of Jackie Gleason? Um, because That's right. I forgot about Jason Miller, I think, was married to Jackie Gleason's daughter. Okay, that's an amazing story. I forgot about that. But who's the other? There's another son, a younger. Jason Patrick uh, has a, young, a younger brother, maybe. And uh, I think there was another kid. He's who's out there now. He's. Huh. Oh, um, I was reading about it recently somewhere. Uh, a, a younger, a younger uh, brother of, of Jason yeah. Patrick. Another one speaking of Miller's sons. Yeah. Speaking of Damien Karras, I have this perfect jacket that I can convert. It's convertible. Oh my God. Look at that. Father Corrigan. That is amazing. You just transformed into, are you taking a. Mrs. McNeil. The day I joined the Jesuits, I've not met one priest who's performed an exorcism. Not one. (laughs) Are you taking confession, Kevin? Did you you haven't seen uh, the the picture I made with owner have you owner uh owner um owner well I wanted to say uh what wait uh hold on to that thought for a second I think I probably did see it wait is it the uh, most recent it's me and uh, Thomas J Ryan as priests no I haven't seen that one yet but I love Thomas J Ryan too of course. Oh, you're gonna love this film, man. I, I, I um, he was. I wish I could, you know. Oh, I, well, you know, I did Owner's first Brooklyn movie. I was in it. You were in. Uh... It's his first one that he did when he moved here uh, from North Carolina. He made a f- comedy called Richard's Wedding. You were in that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I. Uh... <laughs> I got I'm in the. I'm in the wedding party. And then, uh, and I'm in the most of the movie. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Then I also want to say you and I were in a in a series, but not at the same time. Oh yeah, the, the show about the show. <laughs> so, you were in that too. First episode. Holy shit! of Haiti because there's a long story with Kave. I'll just give you the the capsule version because it's getting late. But Kave. Um, some I was in LA visiting this friend of mine who's kind of a sex obsessed anyway, and he's a, kind of a nuts, but he's a great guy. And he he lent me 
this DVD. It just said handwritten on it with marker, I am a sex addict. So I thought it was going to be a some sort of... Anyway, it introduced me to Kaveh. And a couple of weeks, months after I watched it, I'm on the F train. And there sitting across from me is Kaveh. And I remembered him, of course, because he has this very striking you look, you know. So I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So... And then I ran into him again on the subway again. We were both at Lincoln Center. And we were coming back to Brooklyn or something on the train. And th- he remembered me from the before. And so we became friendly. And then the long, there's a much longer version involving when he, there was a fatwa put on his head after doing this. She and I movie and everything. And he was supposed to come and see me uh, for the podcast, which I had just started. And it was not, it was not even a podcast. It was internet radio. He was supposed to come on the show and he didn't come. And it turns out there was a fatwa. So we had this whole history of them. We became friends. And then right around the time he was doing your, the show about the show, he was trying to figure out how to produce, get it produced. And I said, well, I have this connection with Breck media and I'll be happy to connect you with those guys because I think it's the kind of project they might be interested in. And so he ended up doing the show with them. And then when he was shooting the first episode, since it's about the making of the show as the title, he asked me to be in the first episode. And I wasn't very good in it, but uh, owner directed me a little bit better, but anyway. So you're in this new film. So that's the connection. You're you have, you play a lawyer in a later episode. I'm sorry. You played a lawyer or something in a later episode of your yeah. the show about the show. Yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah. So we we have that in common too. So, but anyway, you are and we have that. We're both been in owner movies, but that's maybe where our uh, Venn diagram ends, <laughs> except for these shows that you've been on in mind but uh, so you did this movie with tom j ryan where you played a priest you both played priests yes it's called scenes from an empty church we filmed it in this in a early summer of 2020 well i think there was During the pandemic making films or anything there was nothing else going on at the time we you know we had this location at saint michael the archangels uh, church of saint michael uh, on West 34th Street, you know, basically it was now Hudson right. Yards. Right. Oh, I, is that the one on the north side of the street there by the yeah, top? Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. That's right. And uh, uh, yeah, for, for, for about two weeks, we had that location. The whole movie takes place there. And it's about these priests who are, you know, trying to figure out what to do they've actually one of you know the their their boss or you know the senior the, the head of the parish died yeah. of 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 the of the virus so we never say coronavirus in the movie or covid and the the church is closed and you know we went out and filmed all the dead streets you know we captured the the moment uh i i i I I thought so at the time. Like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna capture the, the, the these times. We're gonna bring those cameras out into Times Square and on the streets. We're gonna we're we're gonna get all this. I mean, we're gonna get all this stuff. And then after a while, like I don't know, it's gonna end. 
And then it's just, the movie's not going to be relevant anymore because the, the pandemic will be over. But I watched the, I saw a cut of the film just a few months ago and it was like, why isn't this on right now? Yeah. And I, I, I had to, you know, I've, I've got, you know, I've kind of, I've had, you know, a contentious kind of relations with, you know, directors I've worked with because it's like, look, we, we put, our fucking blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. Yeah. And what's happening with it now? You know, who's the producer on this thing? What's that fucking guy doing? What's happening with this movie? So anyway, owners like, don't worry, our movie's not going to fall through the cracks. You know, it's going to be, you know, you know, MPI has put out all my movies. This movie's going to come out. It doesn't matter if, you know, and it's kind of sucks that we didn't get into the Sundance and, and we're going to get into South by South. And, and, you know, it's like if this, you know, because Thomas J. Ryan and I were, uh, and Max Casella, you know, and Craig Bierko. Uh, 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 it's it's Who's a, the last one? Sorry? Who's the last guy you met? I know Max Casella, of course. Oh, yeah. Craig Bierko. Craig B. Oh, I, okay. I didn't real. Oh, right. He's a comedian. Yeah, yeah. Musical theater actor. He actually... Craig Bierko and Max Casella were in a musical together in 2001 oh. called the, the Music Man on Broadway. They were together in that play. I didn't know that. They were reunited on the set of, of Scenes from an Empty Church. And this movie is just, I'm telling you, well, a great... Even just you and, and Thomas, uh, it's great. Thomas and I were in Henry Fool together. Right, of course. With Hal Hartley. Films, you know? Uh, uh, this thing came out so good that I, you know, I, I, I think it's the best thing I've done, and uh, and I, uh, people who who've known me all my life and followed my career have said the same thing. You know, Paul Reiser is in it. Paul Reiser is in it. Paul Reiser, he plays my father in it, and he's a he's a friend. Uh, he's he's a friend of my wife and a friend of mine too uh, uh, at this point. Uh, and uh, he had just done something for my daughter who was going to uh, Frank Sinatra School of the Performing Arts, and um, they needed some help. They needed some help, you know, keeping the the film department going at the school, you know, so they could have equipment and things, you know, during the COVID, you know just derailed everything you know their whole agenda and so they got you know um you know people who had friends celebrity friends who could make a video saying you know whatever Uh. you know for an auction or for this or whatever it was and you know beth asked paul if he would do this thing he did it like an hour after she asked he sent the you know he made a really funny like video um very supportive, very genuine guy, you know, and uh, and I took advantage. I wrote to him and I said, "Hey, Paul, uh, how'd you like to be in a movie with me, an independent film? It's a good part, you know. We could we'd be father and son. I don't know." He said, yeah, send me send me the script, and he loves. It. He's like, "Sure." Wow. So it, and you know, it's it's the it's a father and son who are estranged, and they they are uh, talking to each other the way we're talking to each other over like you know uh, facetime or zoom or something you know yeah, yeah, yeah. because of the pandemic has separated them right but, but they were also just separated from you know uh, uh, 
uh, falling out, you know, and they, they're trying, it's about them reconciling and, and it's a great, it's a, it's, it was a great opportunity for us to, to work together in a way that didn't demand that Paul come to the city because we, right. we did try to get, uh, yeah. you know, we tried to get certain people to be in the movie who, who, who loved the script, but had to decline the, you know, out of concern for their own, you know, and their families and stuff, you know, good people, good people who, who would have been fantastic in, in the movie. I won't name names, but people wanted to be in this said they wanted to be in them they said they wanted to be in it well of course knowing you're not going to be it's easier to say you want to be in it. yeah but, we, <laughs> but i'm sure the opportunity wasn't lost we made a, a we made a, a special film we made an excellent feature film and I, i'm just i get you i hear you it read the email that i wrote to the head of this Sundance Festival. Okay, you should just read the email I wrote. It's like, if they should call it the last email. To, to uh, what's her name? I'm forgetting her name. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, I know. I'm not going to um, say. And, you know, I, 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 um, I, I asked someone who I thought would be able to give me some, you know, like a real objective opinion about like, how come you think, how come you think your first name begin with a T? I, am I wrong? Does it, am I just kind of delusional? Do I just, is it bad? Is it really a bad movie? And I just don't know it. And and it was with my manager. My manager said, no, 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 that's not, it's not, it's not, it's, not, it's, it's, it's I, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like people don't want to see a movie about, about COVID right now. You know, it's like, we're too- well, there was one at South by already. I think that's part of the thing. Maybe they thought they just couldn't have uh, more than one. I don't know. I, I, saw I, I Yeah. I, 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 and there were films at Sundance that were about the, you know, the pandemic or the coronavirus. Right, and I, you know, I read the, you know, the, 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 you know, the little thumbnail breakdowns of those films and I think this is owner, you know, we're talking about the difference between, you know, uh, a, uh, like a, a, you know, a Lou Reed album and any other fucking album, you know, like this. Wow. You know, like with the the things, the statement that we made with our film is. Um, so you know, then it, I'm it willing, will work. You know, I'll go out on a limb and say I'm. I'm. You know, I, I, I'm. It's. It's. Our 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 effort was a superior effort. There you go. And so, this is an owner directed it and wrote it. Oh yeah, good for him. Well, he's certainly grown huge amount and um uh and i'm sure he will get it out there i mean i um yeah i know he had difficulty with a misogynist but the timing was a little funny i think yeah i think this ought to you know vindicate him um anyway um We're, and we're working on something too. We're trying to get something else going now. Oh, good. Yeah, ring. I got this in. Uh... I was going to ask you. Yes, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a. This is a. It's not Etsy, but where'd you get that? <laughs> I got it. I got it in Mexico City. Okay. 
on the street. Um, uh, well, we didn't play any music. I know. Well, then we have something to look forward to. Um, but we, we kind of touched. It's too bad we we can't go out with like building the barn from Witness. I think we could do that. We do that. I could make that happen. <laughs> well, we can put on. A, I'm gonna. I could also scroll like a list of the songs that you wanted to touch upon. Maybe stuff that me. Uh, you know, these this music. And it'll be a kind of a teaser for the, the maybe the next time, maybe in a few months. We'll do another. Okay. This was spectacular. This was unbelievable. This is for oh. hardcore. The hardcore. Not the faint of heart. Right? Yeah, you, you know. And oh. All right. I Ken, I love the shirt. I um Yes, I, I wore it for to, you. Um I I, I think I've, I still have, you know, these giant uh print um editions of um of uh, uh from from the mid 80s of of canon um it's a canon catalog oh of films that they have or that are in production or that are coming out um, okay um and you know and, and some Which... of it, some of them uh you know like uh i guess like um death wish 11 Stuff like that, yeah. You know, that was a big part of their the Deshwith franchise. Desh yeah, Deshwith, yeah. yeah. But also, like um, the Apple was that theirs? I don't know. Something with Stallone, over the top, I think. Which Stallone, Frank? Uh, no, slide. No, no, over the top, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the arm wrestling arm wrestling movie. movie, sure, sure, classic. Going to Globus production. Right. Um, yeah. They did some amazing movies. Yeah. They hold up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, it's a, again, I could go off onto like Death Wish 4 or 5, whichever the one is with Martin Balsam or whoever it was. I can't even remember who's in it, but it was like. Marty Balsam. Martin Balsam. He's. He's a great actor. I mean, he's like maybe one of my like top five favorite actors. Really? Martin Balsam. Absolutely. You know his daughter? No, I don't. She's, she's been work. She, she, she has been uh, in touch. Her mom, I, don't, I know we're getting tired, but the mother, uh, uh, Joyce Van Patten, Great, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. great actor she's by the way married like five times amazing story i mean I, anyway but she was married of course to martin balsam they had a uh, talia was the product of that marriage and um i mean what royal family you know royalty that uh but she's been but apparently joyce has been writing i mean she's an older woman obviously but she's been writing and like these stories based on her coming up you know Oh, I right. read. She sent me one of them. It was really good, really good stuff. Oh, oh so I was. I, I, I'm, and I, you know, she's worth. I don't know. I'm not pushing it because somebody I know that maybe point 
maybe they don't feel great about going on and doing something like this. I understand it. Of course. Well, that thing was really interesting. I mean, you know, I, I saw I saw Martin Balsam in a in a in a candy store on, or like you know a, a newspaper store. Tayamo. He he was getting yeah he was getting like a newspaper uh, on Seventy Second Street, the same block as the Dakota. Oh uh, yeah, you know on the other Park side. West. Yeah, like, you know, I know uh, the kiosk. North side of the street. No, no, it was uh, it was yeah. like in the building. It wasn't like oh. a kiosk. It was like. Uh, um, uh, um, right there, almost to at Columbus Avenue, almost there on the okay north uh, uh, west northeast corner, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, I was like, I was probably down by the Ed Sullivan Theater that day, waiting <laughs> for the phone to ring. <laughs> right, exactly the same I, day. I, I spend I just, the days wondering. Yeah. No luck. I, you know, just kind of bummed my way up Broadway and bummed There's Alan Alda. There's There's Alan Alda by the Opera Espresso. Maybe I'd probably gone to see a movie at the, at Lincoln Plaza. I probably went to see, you know, My Life as a Dog or something. My Life as a Dog, double feature with the, (laughs) what was it? The Cinema Paradiso. 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 Like Water for Chocolates. Went up to uh, uh, Cafe La Fortuna for a, for a cappuccino are. with chocolate ice and go use the bathroom and that. sit in there and go, wow, John Lennon's been in this bathroom. And then, you know, <laughs> kind of walked up to 72nd Street and went in the store to get some cigarettes or something. And there's Martin Balsam. Unbelievable. Only in New- like in New York, that's what would happen. That's what would happen. I, 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 I mean, I hope, walking across Park Avenue. I hope that still happens now, you know, right? Walking across Park Avenue uh, on 68th Street, 68th. you pass going west, past Hunter College, going across the Meridian, yeah. the center spot where the flower, where they plant the tulips and all, and Arthur Miller yeah. and some lady crossing, going past. No, yeah, no, it had to be further up because I, when I passed them, I went past them and then I raced back and they were on that waiting for the light to change. And they were standing there. and I ran back. Cause I said, I walked by him. I recognized Arthur Miller. He said to myself, I said, I cannot not do something. This yeah. is Arthur Miller. <laughs> and I ran back and I, I swear to God, I just said, I, uh, you're the, you're, you know, you're just, the greatest whatever i said and he laughed and he shook my hand and he was so nice it's a great moment oh wow that's pretty great you know and i just said wow i just can't i just i don't know what to say i just this is fantastic you know i arthur miller yeah (laughs) so but that's it. if you're in New York City and you got the same kind of observatory, you know, observational skills as maybe we share from a life spent fixated on what we've been talking about the last two hours, you know, yeah. like we know we re- we see these people and we we can recognize them. Yeah. Well, you've worked with a lot of them, but you know, but it could have been thirty years ago you would have recognized them. Yeah. Any any period of time, you know. Yeah. Put either put either one of us back in the in the in the nineteenth century, and we'd still come up, you know. 
in in whatever yeah you know manifestation we'd be there you know like um edith warden that's you (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man all right man all right man Uh, this has been great thank you this has been terrific okay is that a cigarette man smoking Nah, it's just a. Shit, I was gonna. If you were, if it was, I was gonna go have one. Well, you said you were gonna do it on the way to the. That was a specific cigarette. You said you were gonna do on your. Now that it's everything's legal. That's right. It's it's it's. Well, you can smoke pot now, uh, but you can't smoke a cigarette. The the. Still anywhere. That's isn't yeah. Imagine that. That's crazy. All right. Um, All righty. Take it easy. And right. stay in touch about the, the, the movie because I, I do have to see that. Take it easy, though. And uh, yeah, it was nice talking with you. Oh, yeah. Likewise, man. Good night, Eric. All right. Good night. Good night.